Thank you, choir and orchestra. We have been looking at the miracles of Jesus. We began with his first recorded miracle, which was turning the water into wine, which was a celebration of marriage. Then we looked at some healing miracles where he healed the nobleman's son, the paralytic. We then saw the feeding of the 5,000 miraculously, and today we look at the healing of a man who had a withered hand, and the miracle was done on a Sabbath, which caused a problem. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. And he entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, in order that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to harm, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. As was the practice of Jesus, the Bible says that he entered into the synagogue. It is generally believed the synagogue of reference is the one in Capernaum. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Many of you have been to the synagogue in Capernaum. There was a picture of it. And I believe that it was a picture of Eric as he was teaching there in the synagogue of Capernaum. So it is generally believed that this miracle took place at the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus was there because he believed it to be important to assemble together with the people of God. He believed it to be important to in, engage himself in corporate worship. So he was there with other worshipers at the synagogue in Capernaum. I know that there are people who do not believe church attendance to be important. But the Bible teaches us that it is. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 the scripture says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. As I was sitting up here enjoying and participating in the worship service a few minutes ago, watching you, some of you as you sang, some of you as your hearts were touched during the music and so forth, my heart was touched watching you. You see, it is important that we come together, that we share together in corporate worship, and that's what's happening here. Jesus has joined with other worshipers in the synagogue, and then the Bible says that he saw a man with a withered hand. So he has come into the synagogue to worship, but he notices a man who has a withered hand. Hebert wrote, Withered describes its abiding condition and implies that the affliction was not due to a congenital defect 
but was the result of an accidental injury or some disease. So when he goes into the synagogue to worship with other worshipers, he notices a man who has a withered hand. Probably it was the result of an accident. It does not mention his arm. It says that his hand was withered. The scripture tells us that it was his right hand. In Luke chapter 6 verse 6, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. All right. So Jesus then goes into the synagogue. He is there to worship with other worshipers. He notices a man whose right hand is withered. Now tradition says to us that this man had been a stonemason, which could very easily be true because being a stonemason was a common profession at that time in that place. So it, it is speculated that he had hurt his hand as a stonemason and now then he is having to beg for his living. So, Jesus goes into the synagogue and sees a man with a withered hand. Also there are those I call the protectors of the Sabbath, verse number two. And they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. Now they refers to the Pharisees. So Jesus goes in, sees a man with a withered hand, but the Pharisees are also there watching him. Hebert says the verb watching is a compound form with the root meaning to keep alongside of. The imperfect tense pictures them as continuing to watch Jesus closely and intently as eager observers. Okay. He sees a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees are watching him. They are spying on him intently, focused on Jesus. They know that he has the power to heal. What they were watching for was to see if he healed on the Sabbath, which would be breaking the Sabbath. That was the reason for their observation. They were going to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, thus breaking the Sabbath. Warren Wearsby wrote, The Sabbath day had become a crushing burden, a symbol of the galling religious bondage that had captured the nation. Truth is, the Sabbath had been perverted, had been twisted to become something God never intended for it to be. Now, you, you know the verse. Remember, let's say it together. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Maybe you don't know the verse. It is one of the commandments. Let's try it again. We'll just erase that. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Okay. Now that was the verse. That is the instruction. But in the Talmud, the book of Jewish traditions 
There are 24 chapters interpreting what that verse meant. You see, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means not to work on the Sabbath. Well, what does it mean to work? They said, well, we will define that. So we have 24 chapters of definition. Let me read some of them. It meant that you could not travel more than 3,000 feet from home. That was called a Sabbath day's journey. In fact, in Israel today, there are wires that are strung in different places, marking off a Sabbath day's journey. So in order to keep the Sabbath, you could not travel more than 3,000 feet from your home. Also, you could not lift anything heavier than two dried figs. Otherwise, you would be breaking the Sabbath. Well, that raised some questions. Can I pick up my child on the Sabbath? Another question. What if someone wore false teeth and they weighed more than two dried figs? (laughs) You laugh at it, but it was serious with them. Does that mean then I can wear my teeth on the Sabbath? You could not carry a needle because you might see something that needs to be sewn and sold and break the Sabbath. You couldn't take a bath on the Sabbath because water might splash out and wash the floor and that would be a violation of the Sabbath. Women could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath. Well, I'm glad we don't believe that. <laughs> Women could not look in the mirror because they might see a, great, a gray hair and pull it out, and that would be a violation of the Sabbath. Well, we have some strange traditions also, do we not? There are some old laws still on the books in some states. Wheeler, Mississippi... Young girls are not allowed to walk a tightrope unless in church. (laughs) You're from Arkansas. What does that mean? I haven't seen any tightropes in a church. Blackwater, Kentucky. Tickling a woman under her chin with a feather duster while she is in church, carries a penalty of $10 and one day in jail. (laughs) Lees Creek, Arkansas, no one is allowed to attend church in red-colored garments. Slaughter, Louisiana, turtle races are not permitted within 100 yards of a local church. We got that one covered. You see, what had happened is that the interpretation of man on that simple verse, remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, had perverted the purpose of the Sabbath. What was the purpose? Well, look at chapter 2, verse 27. He was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The word Sabbath is a transliteration of the word Shabbat, which means to cease or desist. In other words, it simply meant a day of rest. That God had designed a day of rest for man. Now it came to mean far more than that. Perverted the meaning of it, but that was the purpose of it. 
It was to give man a day of rest. Jesus said, you were not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. We also gain some principles for interpretation of the Sabbath. First of all, the Sabbath does not restrict necessities. Look at chapter 2, verse 25. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he gave it also to those who were with him. Now this is a reference to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And he said, David and his men took the consecrated bread from off the altar and ate it. He's speaking about the Sabbath here, so how does he tie it together? He is simply saying that the necessities of life are not restricted by the Sabbath. That's what that is. The necessities of life are not restricted by the Sabbath. We also learn that compassion takes precedence, and they believe that even in the care of their animals. In Luke chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And then Jesus said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. What right did he have to that title? Well, he's the creator. In John chapter 1, verse 3, all things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So Jesus then is the creator of all things. That includes the Sabbath. He is the redeemer. The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So the Bible says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by fulfilling the law. So he has a right then to refer to himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. All right, so we have the protectors of the, uh, of the Sabbath there. Jesus comes in, sees a man whose hand is withered. The, as he is looking at the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees are watching him to see if he would violate the Sabbath according to their traditions. How did he respond? Look at verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. Matthew Henry said, He bade the man stand forth, that by the sight of him they might be moved with compassion toward him. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when we see someone in need, our hearts are stirred with compassion to minister to the need. That was true with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36, the Bible says, and seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the multitude. He saw them as distressed, downcast, sheep without a shepherd. And the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. When he saw, he was moved. That's the point here. When we see needs, are we not moved by compassion? That's the reason we have Feed the Hungry, because we have some people in our church who have seen the need, and they have been moved by compassion. 
That's the reason that we have many of the ministries in our church because people, some of you, have seen a need and been moved by compassion. But Jesus said to the man, stand up, rise, so the people could see the need and their hearts be touched. And I was watching a, something on television the other day and saw the commercial I'm sure you have seen about the dogs and the cats that have been abused and starved and the music is playing in the background and they're asking for money. But boy, it all, I mean, I look at those poor little dogs and it looks like little cats. I don't even like cats. But they have that little cat and it's looking up at you and so forth. Your heart is stirred. That's the point here. Jesus had him to rise so the people could see the needs. Now here's his rationale in verse 4. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. So Jesus asked them a question. Is it right to do good or harm on the Sabbath? Is it right to kill or to save life on the Sabbath? You see, it was their belief that it was right to save life even on the Sabbath. So Jesus is saying then, is it not right to restore life even on the Sabbath? Hebrews said, that which is morally good does not become morally evil just because it is done on the Sabbath. Now the question Jesus asked was, is it right to do good or to do harm? Is it right to kill or save life? Did you notice their response? They kept silent. They had no answer to the question. Jesus asked the question, on the Sabbath, in order to keep the Sabbath, is it right to do good or harm? Is it right to kill or to save? And so they kept silent. The Bible says that Jesus was angry, verse number 5. And after looking around at them with anger, I had a friend to tell me one time, said, Jesus sinned. I said, really? I didn't know that. What did he do? Said he became angry. Did you know you can be angry and not sin? In fact, the scripture says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and yet do not sin. There were times when Jesus was angry when he went into the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers. It is implied that he was angry. That was his response. He was angry at it. Here the Bible says that he is angry at these Pharisees for their legalism. Folks, the truth is we as Christians should be angry at some things. Unfortunately today we have come to the place that we are only to be loving. We're not to be angry at anything. And so the reasoning goes, you know, the Bible says that you're to love your enemies. Well, the devil is the enemy. I guess I'm supposed to love the enemy the devil there are some things that we ought to be righteously indignant about the bible says he was grieved first five continues grieved at their hardness of heart now it's interesting that the word anger is in the aorist tense which means it was momentary he was angry but it was momentary the word grieved is in the present tense, which means that it is a prolonged feeling. So he was angry, momentary, grieved, continuing. 
One who loves is grieved by injustice or a lack of compassion. Jonathan was grieved by his father's response to David. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 34, then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. God was grieved at the response of the Hebrews in Ezekiel 6, 9, I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. And the Bible says here that Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. There are some things that grieve us and we should be grieved by sin and injustice and a lack of compassion. If we're the people of God, our hearts should be grieved. He healed him. Verse number five continues. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was restored. Jesus said to the man, the man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. Now that required an act of faith. Here's a man who has gone to the synagogue. He's not expecting this. He has gone to the synagogue. Jesus comes in, sees the man with the withered hand, and he says to him, stretch out your hand. Took an act of faith. The Bible says, and he stretched out his hand. He acted immediately, and he acted obediently. And this enabled everyone to see what was about to happen. Here is the man, arise, he stood up, all the people could see him, they saw his withered hand, they knew his need, and Jesus healed him. Now the thing that is a healing is miraculous, but the thing that is a little amusing to me, I guess, is that Jesus did it in such a way that he did not even violate the traditions of the Sabbath that the Pharisees held. Look at that again. Verse number 5. He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Hebert wrote, the healing was an act of Jesus' own volition, wrought without a touch or the use of external means. He thus did nothing that violated their trivial Sabbath regulations. Jesus healed the man, but he did it in such a way that even their traditions were not violated. You think, well, that ought to satisfy them, right? Look at verse 6. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. There was an unusual alliance that was formed. The Pharisees that are mentioned there, they were separatists. They despised Greek and Roman culture and believed it antithetical to everything that a true Jew stood for. They had nothing to do with them. They separated themselves from Greek and Roman culture. The Herodians, on the other hand, were Jews who embraced Greek and Roman culture and took it into their lives. It's an unusual alliance that formed these two, the separatists, the Pharisees, and the Herodians who embraced the culture. They came together against Jesus. It seems to me 
sometimes in a perplexing way that there are unusual alliances formed against Jesus today. Sometimes it's education. In some schools there are roadblocks to the expression of Christianity. I thank God for Christian teachers and for the influence that they have. But in some schools there are roadblocks established against Christianity. Military, sometimes the chaplains are limited in their recommendation of Jesus. Politics, did you see a couple of weeks ago at a town hall in Louisiana that a chaplain prayed? To start the meeting they called on the chaplain to pray, to do the invocation. And the people began to yell out, this is our time. In other words, we don't have time for prayer. This is our time. And when he ended his prayer in Jesus' name, then they really went ballistic. There are some unusual alliances that form today for the same purpose, how they might destroy him. Let me conclude. Why is there such opposition to Jesus even when he does good? Does that make sense to you? Why is there such opposition to Jesus even when he does good? Well, sometimes it's because he disrupts religious tradition. And we get aggravated at Jesus if he doesn't fit into my denominational box. If he does anything outside that, I get aggravated at him, don't you? Sometimes that's a reason. Sometimes it's because he's a friend of sinners and he is compassionate. The story that pictures that for me as much as any of them is the woman who was caught in adultery and the religious leader stood there with stones ready to stone her, but Jesus extended compassion to her. I suppose the primary reason is because Jesus claims to be God. He said, I and the Father are one, and the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus is God. That means what he says is important, and that means that I'm going to answer to him. And because of that, there are some people who want nothing to do with Jesus because they are threatened by his Godship. Well, it's interesting to me as I look at this miracle that he healed on the Sabbath which was a day of rest, and that's what it's supposed to be. But Jesus said, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Sabbath is a day of rest that God has given to you for the purpose of rest. And then Jesus said, If you want to know rest, come to me. My friend, there are some of you who are in such turmoil as far as your spirit is concerned. There's such trauma in your life as far as your spirit is concerned. Such a struggle. And the invitation from the Lord is come to me and I'll give you rest. That's the invitation that we will extend today that you come to Jesus. Not that you become a Baptist, but that you come to Jesus. Our Father, I come to you lifting up this time of invitation, asking your blessings upon it. 
Father, for those who have never come to Christ, I pray that they might today to receive forgiveness and rest that comes from you. Lord, I pray for those who, in whose life you're dealing, may they be obedient to you as the man was, and immediately they will stand and reach out to you in Christ's name, amen. Just a moment, the choir will sing, we will stand, staff will be here. If you have never trusted Christ, I encourage you to today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do. <laughs> 